0: All right, starting off in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the day, all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. I'm going to check my mic to see if the battery is dying here. No, it's good. I don't know what's going on. So we'll just deal with a little buzz. Well, the series that we've been working on, we're, we're working through this this statement that I have up on the screen here, a statement that we're using as kind of the centering, kind of refocusing of our congregation, that this is kind of reminds us and keeps us pointed as, Uh, who we are and who God has called us to be, that we are a church who is worshiping the triune God in community, as a community, and for the community. And that that's who we are. And so we're kind of working through this and showing how Scripture keeps telling us that this is who we are. And this is going to be our last message talking about this worshiping God in community. Um, But one of the things that I've referenced over and over and over in this series is that worship is not something we just do on Sunday mornings. That worship is something that, that overflows into every aspect of our lives. And so when we go to work, wherever we work, we can do that worshiping God. When I tell my kids when they go on the hockey rink and play hockey, they should do that with the mentality of I'm worshiping God while I'm playing hockey. Or we go out into nature on a sunny fall day like today, we go out into nature and we can worship God. And, uh, but one of the questions that comes up when I start talking that way, I'll have people say, well, if, if all of life is worship, then what's the big deal with Sunday mornings? Right? And I, I, get the, I, I hear that one quite a bit. And I was just reading an article by a guy named Ross Werland from the Chicago Tribune. And here's what he wrote. He said, I have a choice. I can go sit in a church pew and in a congregational monotone, you can see it's really positive, uh, recite words that I'm guessing many people don't even think about as they say them. Maybe it's just me, but it seems that a direct conversation with an all-powerful deity would generate a little more enthusiasm. My other choice, I can hop in my canoe, paddle up the White River in southern Wisconsin, and within minutes find an unspoiled spot that looks like it's right out of the original garden, precisely as its creator intended it. For me, the better option is to savor the peace-giving, faith-inducing wonders of nature, the official art form of the deity. This is the temple I would visit every day. Right? I hear this all the time as I talk to people. Right? I hear people say, hey, I can, I can worship God better in my car than I can on a Sunday morning. Or I can worship better out in the woods, out in nature, than I can in a church on a Sunday morning. So I'm just not coming to church anymore. Uh, why would I come to church if I can worship better out out in the woods, right? And so I hear this a lot, and, and maybe you've even found yourself feeling that a little bit. Some of us have grown up in the church, and so part of us knows we probably shouldn't say it, but if we're honest with ourselves, we've felt it before, way deep down inside, that I can worship God better somewhere else than on Sunday mornings. And so the question this morning is, why Sunday mornings? And and we're going to get there, and I'm going to work towards an answer. uh, But in order to get there, we're going to start off with our passage from this morning. Talking about Jesus as our great high priest. And that really uh, ties in and connects with why Sunday mornings. Our passage says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. And so this is the picture we have of Jesus in this passage. He is our great high priest over God's people. And in order for us to really understand that, we have to go back to the Old Testament. We have to start thinking about what the priests did or what what the, the great high priest did In particular. And on on a real simple level, the priest was uh, a mediator or an in-between between between God and his people. And actually, God's people requested that. It's It's a little part of Exodus that we sometimes forget that after God's people get brought out of Egypt and they go into the desert and they get to Mount Sinai, God's presence is manifest fully on Mount Sinai. And there's smoke and clouds and fire and lightning and thunder and the ground's shaking and the people go, <gasps> say we're not going to go. We're not going to go talk to that God. He scares the daylights out of me. And they're like, God, we we're not going to come to you. Send somebody else. You talk to Moses. will we'll send Moses up to the mountain. You talk to him and then he can tell us what because we're we're scared of you. And so they said, give us a mediator. Give us an in between person because we're afraid to enter into your. Presence. And so it starts off with Moses and then it moves into the priesthood and they end up being the ultimate people who are this in between between God and his people. And they would give sacrifices on behalf of the people. They would pray on behalf of the people the the temple, they would teach the word of God would be taught on behalf of the people. And they were just in between. But the great high priest was kind of the ultimate of the priests. And and he had this job of entering into the place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. Or, or, as our passage says, the most holy place, which was this place in the temple that was um, separated off by a really thick, heavy curtain. And it was understood that when you went through that curtain, you were entering into the very presence of God. In a figurative way, you were going through the curtain, you were entering into the mountain that was full of smoke and clouds, and earth shaking, and lightning and thunder. You were entering into that, and, and the priest would do that once a year on behalf of the people. He would just enter in, and uh, it was a fearful thing. I mean, even the great high priest would would tie a rope to his ankle in case he went into the presence of God and died. They could grab him and just drag him out by the ankle, so nobody else had to go in there. I mean, it was he was afraid to enter into the presence of God even then, and so it was this really big deal, but that was... The way that people could enter into God's presence was through a priest. And it was a fearful thing. And now we have this passage and it says, we have confidence to enter into the holy place, the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, it says Jesus is the one he he opened up the way for us in into the temple. And it's incredible as we read through the Gospels and we read about what's happening while Christ hangs on the cross, the earth goes dark, the ground starts shaking, lightning starts flashing, and then in the temple, the curtain that separated God from His people was ripped in half, torn in two from top to bottom, showing that through Christ, we can enter into the very presence of God. Pretty unbelievable. That now we don't have to go through rituals, sacrifices, we don't have to go through a priest, you don't have to go through me as your pastor, you go through Christ and you're brought directly into the presence of God. We have full access to the presence of God right now through Christ, and we can go into the presence of God with confidence. Not fearful, because we go through Christ. We go through the one whom the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. We go through the one who died on the cross, but then was risen from God, rose him again from the dead to say, I accept his sacrifice. And now through him, we enter into the very presence of God. And so, what the author of Hebrews says, he says, If that's true, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And and as I was reading that this week, I couldn't help but think, it's kind of amazing that he even has to say that part. He says, guess what? Christ has opened up this way for you so that you can enter into the very presence of God. And then he has to say, so go do it. Because their natural inclination is not to do it. I was thinking this is me, I, I like to read some fantasy books, but I was thinking that, like if today this portal opened up in, in our churchyard here, a portal opened up to go to another world, let's say it goes to Narnia, right? And anybody could walk through this portal into Narnia, you wouldn't have to go around telling people, "Get in there!" They'd just start lining up. Right. Well, maybe not, but, you know, but there'd be this idea like, wow, I can go into this cool place, I can get there, you wouldn't have to say, now go do it. They would just start doing it because they would be motivated to enter in. And yet, through Christ, we can go into the very throne room of God, the God who created the universe, the God who has redeemed us. And he says, do it. Draw near to him. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, trust that you can enter in with confidence. Trust Him that the way is opened up for you. He's sprinkled your hearts clean from sin. He's removed the guilt from you. Christ has done all of that so that you can go into the very presence of God. Why wouldn't we do this regularly? And then he says... Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Another way another way of getting to this, another translation said, Let us hold unswervingly to the confession of our faith, which is another way of pointing to God's word. Because Christ has opened up this way into the presence of God, and because God promised that He would open up this way, and because God is faithful in all He's promised, let's trust all of His promises. Let's hold fast to everything that he tells us in his word. Let's not let go of it or wander away from it. Let's trust him. Why would we doubt the God who has fulfilled every single promise he has ever made? Why would we question him on that? So he says, hold on to it because Christ has opened up a way and God is faithful. And then he says, also, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And again, I, I find it interesting. He says, I've got to tell you this. You're going to need to be spurred on. You're going to need to be encouraged to do these things. You, you're going to need to be spurred on and encouraged to love and good works. You're going to need to be spurred on and encouraged to draw near to God or encouraged and spurred on to hold fast to God's word. And so he says, in order to do that, you need to keep meeting together. You need to keep doing that. You you can't neglect meeting together as the, as the habit of some people, but you have to keep doing it, spurring each other on, encouraging one another. And he says, you need to keep doing it more and more the closer the day comes, and what he's referencing is when Christ comes again. The closer we get to Christ's second coming, he says we need to be meeting and gathering more because we're going to need more encouragement, more spurring on by the body of Christ. That It's not not an optional part of the Christian life. It's actually the way that God has created us to live. And so... If you start to ask the question, why Sunday mornings? Why do we make a big deal out of Sunday morning worship? This is one of the answers, I would say. Another answer that I'm just not dealing with today, but it's a really good answer, is the God of the universe told us to do it. That should be a good enough reason. <laughs> so, but um, that... That's a good reason, and I'm talking about a different one, is that God has created us in such a way that we do not live the Christian faith alone. That we need to be spurred on, encouraged by the body of Christ. And if that's not happening regularly, we will just start drifting away. And and I can guarantee it. I've been in ministry long enough that I've seen this, that as soon as we start neglecting meeting regularly with other believers, it's not long before we just neglect following Christ at all. And, and to just bring that down to a point, the sooner we neglect gathering for worship on Sunday mornings, you will eventually neglect following God. I just watched it happen over and over and over again. And the reason is, we need to be spurred on and encouraged. And so when I talk to people and they say, I can worship God just as well on a river in the woods than I can in church. I want to say, it's tempting to think that, right? I'm an outdoors guy. I lo- You can get out in nature. You get out in the middle of the woods by yourself and everything seems just right and in order and peaceful and, and then you get into church and there's all these people and they bring their own junk and they bring their own personalities, and you're like, God, oh, they just mess everything up, right? I mean, that kind of, that's a temptation. And yet, God has given us those people to live the Christian life. And what you think you're doing is, sure, you can go out into nature and you can adore God for his creation, but you're also rebelling against God in a. In, And not coming to worship on a Sunday morning. One of the, the definition of worship that we've been working through, that we've been using is worship is our response of adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is and what He has done, right? So this is what worship is adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is and what He has done. And, and so you can go out into nature and you can adore God, right? You can, it's very easy to adore God. Out in nature. And yet, when you're intentionally saying, But I'm not going to go to worship on Sundays like you told me to, you're not submitting. You're not trusting. And then you're not worshiping. And and the reality is, I've been doing this long enough to know that you you start skipping worship on Sundays to go out into the woods and worship God the first few weeks. It is probably worshipful. You do find yourself adoring God. But then on week three, week four, week five, it's not about worship anymore, is it? It's about the woods, or it's about fishing, or it's about golfing, or it's about whatever. And God is not in the picture anymore. And, and that happens all the time. Why? Because God has created us. Because we need to be spurred on and encouraged in the faith over and over and over again. And, and we get off into our week and like kids trying to clean their rooms, we get distracted by every bright and shiny object out in the world. And God says, I'm taking Sunday and you come on Sunday morning and I'm going to say, focus. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. And we need to have that happening over and over and over again. And we need to be spurred on and encouraged to live the Christian faith. And, and if we neglect that, we lose worship in every other aspect of our lives. And so that's not, don't, don't hear me saying that, that we worship on Sunday mornings and not in every aspect of our life. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, If you want to truly worship God in every aspect of your life, you start by worshiping God on Sunday mornings. That He's taken Sunday morning and placed a stake in the ground and said, look at me. And then we go out into our week and we try to worship God in our work and raising our families and as we're buying groceries and doing all these things and we start to get distracted and then Sunday comes around and He grabs us again and He brings us back in and He puts us down and says, focus, look at me, remember what it means to worship me. And then he sends us out into the week again to worship him again. And we go and we get distracted and he brings us back on Sunday morning and says, focus. And we do that over and over and over again for the rest of our lives. Because if we're going to truly worship God in every aspect of our lives, it starts by worshiping God on Sunday mornings. And, and in order to accomplish that, we do certain things on a Sunday morning. So this passage says, because Christ is our high priest, we are to draw near to him, we're to hold fast to his word, and we're to consider how to spur one another on in fellowship. And, and he's telling us to do these in every part of our life. right? So we're to draw near to God Not just on Sunday mornings, we're supposed to draw near to God in our workplaces, in our cars, in our homes. And yet, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we are going to draw near to God through praise and through prayer. And what we're doing is we're equipping you on a Sunday morning so that when you leave church... Throughout the rest of your life, we're training and equipping you to draw near to God in every aspect of your life. So we pray on Sunday mornings. We sing praise to God on Sunday mornings as ways drawing near and entering into his presence. He says, hold fast to God's word. Don't swerve from God's word. Hold on to it and don't let go of it. And so you're called to do that in every part of your life. Working buying groceries, driving your car. And when we come to church on Sunday morning, you're going to hear us reading the Bible. You're going to hear me preaching the Bible. Why? So that we're equipping you, we're refocusing you, so that when you leave here, you're holding fast to God's word in every part of your life. When we come to church on a Sunday morning, we're going to start spurring each other on, right? We have fellowship. And and I, I love the fact that it takes us a bit to get in here. Before church, because we're we're fellowshipping with one another. And then when I let you loose to greet one another, it takes a while for me to get you back. Right. But that's okay because we're here to spur one another on and encourage one another. And we do that on Sunday morning in order to equip us to do that throughout every other part of our life as well, to keep fighting the good fight with one another. And so everything we do on a Sunday morning from singing to praying to preaching to presenting offerings all of it's geared towards equipping us to worship God in every aspect of our lives. And and I wanted to take a minute just to connect some of this with with last week's message because last week we talked about the historic and the global church and reminded that scripture talks about how they're part of our body of Christ as well. They're there to help spur us on and encourage us in the faith. And what that means on a Sunday morning is that we, make, we need to make sure that we're honoring the historic church and the global church on Sunday mornings too, because those are resources that God has given us to spur us on in the faith. So that's one of the reasons why um, we look at the Heidelberg Catechism every Sunday, because it's a way for the Christians of 500 years ago to speak to us and say, Here we go. Let me encourage you. Let me, we're honoring the historic church in doing so. That's one of the reasons why we sing hymns and older songs, because that's the historic church speaking into our lives. It's one of the reasons we will pray, but I'm thinking we probably need to grow in our honoring of the global church on our Sunday mornings. You know, last week we we sang a song that originated out of South America and was translated into English. And we're trying to do some of those things. We'll pray for the, the global church and and uh, we get updates from Don on what's going on in Liberia. But something we could probably grow in in honoring the global church as well on our Sunday mornings. But it's all here, again, to help us worship God in our daily lives. and it's And it's trying to strike a balance in all of this because God... We honor the historic church. We honor the global church. But God has also placed us in Beaverdam in this century, in this decade, you know, in this year. And so we honor some of these current things, too. So we do have some contemporary music, too. We try to find a balance of we don't want to honor history so much that we're stuck in the past, right? We, we want to honor our current culture and we speak in that language. We read contemporary uh, translations of the Bible, we we have some contemporary music, but we honor the past. And the same is with the global. We wouldn't want to focus on global Christianity to the neglect of the community that God has placed us in. That wouldn't be honoring to God either. So we try to balance these things on a Sunday morning. And uh, there's always room for us to grow in how we honor these things. But in the end... The question of Sunday morning worship doesn't, doesn't boil down to have we, have we balanced rightly historic and global church? Um, actually, the question doesn't even boil down to have I felt worshipful today? The question is have we honored and worshiped Christ? Have we drawn near to Christ? Have we held fast to Christ's word? Have we been spurred on by Christ? Because Sunday morning worship isn't really about us. It uh, it equips us, it affects us, but it equips and affects us so that we turn our eyes and look toward Christ in every aspect of our lives. And so when we leave church on a Sunday morning, the question is, have we worshipped Christ? Have we adored Christ? Have we submitted to Christ? Have we trusted Christ? Have we found joy in Christ? And then we leave doing that more and more as we walk out of church. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We worship him. We draw near to him in every aspect of our lives. We hold fast to his word in every aspect of our lives and we spur each other on to follow him more and more as the day is drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the rhythms and the patterns that you've placed in our lives, the rhythms of years, seasons, and months, and weeks. You've given, given us these as reminders. And in particular, we think of our Sunday morning service that, that you've placed here and reminded us as, as a day to come and and worship you. We just thank you for it. We thank you for giving us this gift and this opportunity to, to worship you regularly and to be equipped to worship you more fully in every aspect of our lives. And Father, just stir, continue to stir our hearts that as we come on Sunday mornings that, that we worship you in a way that brings you glory and honor and praise and that as we leave, we live lives that bring you glory and honor and praise. Help us not to grow weary of it. Help us not to grow dull of worshiping you, but stir our hearts to worship you more fully each day. And all God's people said, Amen.